so I was I was playing team draft yesterday. Well, team draft and then team sealed. Team draft of vintage cube and team sealed of of dominarias. And they're both you do a, a pod of six people, so two teams of three, and then you do like a round robin. Everybody plays everybody, and so first to five wins, you know, wins the uh, that team wins, or, or everybody on your team plays everybody on their team. I mean, so. Mm-hmm. Team draft, you're seated so that it's you, other team, teammate, other team, teammate, other team, right? Around the table. And so you're passing to opponents the whole draft. And there's a real psychological component going on. Because hate drafting in in normal drafts is bad. Like, you're going to be passing to somebody you probably won't even play against. So you might as well give them good signals to be in a deck that you're not and, you know, hook them up. They'll hook, you know, not like consciously or anything, but like you, you, you signal that you are not in this color and they will be in that color and presumably not in your colors. Right. So hate drafting, generally bad hate drafting team draft. Great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and 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 you have to like talk with your teammates and be like okay i took i saw in pack one pick one i had to choose between ragavan white plume adventure fury and shield of the apocalypse that was my actual pack one pick one decision Jesus, yeah like i would be happy first picking any of those cards in fucking vintage cube and so i was like Okay, so which one didn't you see? Okay, he's definitely in this, right? <laughs> you could, but you can only do that after the whole draft is over, and, and then you're like prepping each other for the decks that you think your opponents are in, and you're like, okay, I know he has this. Like, watch out for this counter spell, or blah, blah blah blah, right? So yeah, it you just take regular draft. Up the complexity even more, but then add the team component to it. It was awesome. Team sealed. Teams of three again. You each open 12 packs, build three decks out of them. So it's a little like when we did that full box, two-headed giant, except fewer packs. Because that yeah, was ridiculous. Those, those, uh, but you still end up with good decks, like a little better than like a draft deck generally. But you might stick one, you'll end up with like two good decks and then one just kind of stinker. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, good. you know, so-and-so go play the stinker. And yeah, it, it's a great time. I highly recommend. Apparently it's like the sweatiest format in the world. Like people who are really like pro tour at the pro tour, apparently everybody shows up early or Everybody who scrubs out, right? Everybody who like doesn't make the cut, doesn't make day two, right? They just gamble like crazy. They just put a bunch of money up on team drafts and do that all night for the, for the rest wow. of the pro tour while their uh, while their teammates are are you know presumably still in contention. So yeah, the uh, cool. it is cool and it's a lot of fun. Highly recommend anyone who has the shot. How are you doing? What's good with you? How's Command Fest? How is everything? Command Fest was fun. We were talking before the pod about just the inabsorbent amount of expenses that comes with traveling for, even not even just the traveling, but like just going to a magic event when like 
I'm not personally heavily invested in magic. I have a lot of fun with it, but like it's I'm not building like an online presence about it. I'm not like yeah, trying to make a name for myself in the magic community. So right. like, when it's something that I'm casually doing and it has that kind of a price tag on it, it's just kind of a bitch. Um, no, for sure. Like, oh, well, yeah, we were just saying when I, when I went to Philly and it's like, I, I bought a, a weekend pass and then nobody who was going to go with me ended up going. And so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll take the, the bus down for a day. So the bus costs money. The ticket costs money. Events cost money. Yeah. And, and it just, oh my God, all of a sudden I miss, I miss Grand Prix. Yeah. Grand Prix, yeah. you have, you know, it was free to get in the door. If you just wanted to play side events all day, you just pay for side events. If you right. want it, if you want to play the main event, yeah, it's it's a you know there's a pretty hefty price tag to that. Right, it was like, but then you play like all dollars day. for like thirteen rounds in one day. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of magic. <laughs> it is a lot of magic, but but it made the price tag worth it. Totally, but I mean, so like you know, big picture. One day pass for me in uh, Anaheim was $60. I played probably seven games. Yeah. Um, six or seven games. Like 10 bucks a pop. That's yeah. not terrible. Yeah. I got to meet people. Like I was, the, my main goal was to hang out with, with Alex. Totally. And I got to spend 80% of the day with him. So. Yeah. Um, Money well spent. was fine. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's one of those, I don't know if, I feel like you had to have had some experiences like this uh, with playing Smash and like going and playing with strangers and finding out that our basic and uh, uh, our meta Smash skills were yeah. apparently way better than the average <laughs> player in town or wherever we are, like yeah. in college or whatever. There's definitely um, a feel out process because especially with the game yeah. that, Especially before online, you know, before mm-hmm. online mm-hmm. Smash, you just play with people like your play group, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we're we're really good, you know. We <laughs> you better watch. Well, out. yeah. So like, it, and it yeah. goes it goes both it goes in both like spectrums, right? Because like, yeah. you'll feel, you know, you and your friend group are like at this level, and then you go and play some randos, and you find out that the randos are like down here and you're still, you start to get cocky and feel good. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll go play in a tournament and you go to like a tournament yeah. and you're like, Oh yeah, no, wait. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it was a similar experience with how I have ended up building my decks. And a lot of that, like God, like three quarters of that is because of Alan. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so like you have, I have these like, powerful decks and we show up and then like people who have like oh god like people who have like a cdh or uh just below cdh high level high power mindset do not do not block with their one one mono dork yeah which gives me more advantage yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so you just like play into that. I really thought this guy was going to block with his Arbor Elf multiple times, but uh-huh. he kept on letting my uh, my ninjas through that didn't have evasion. And yeah. I was just like, okay, if this is how you want to play this, this is the game. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, because you, I mean, I get that from, from honestly, a commander standpoint. 
it's good for the table if they block, but it's bad for them. Right, right. And right. so you, I think if you are a competitive EDH player, you are constantly like thinking about how do I maximize my own chances of winning versus how do I stop this other player from winning? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's interesting. It's a different play group. Like yeah, you spend so much time playing with your set core friends that like, you know how each other's decks play. You know that especially, weaknesses. especially. I mean, you called them out earlier, but especially Alan, who's like, "Yeah, fuck you. I'll, I'll, I'll turn off your deck." Yeah, or, Alan is or, more or, than willing to uh, give himself do, a three-turn handicap yeah. just to screw you over. <laughs> I will do incredibly suboptimal things just to just to make you think about your actions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly what he does. Like he'll he'll like not cast a mono rock, just leave two blue up just to fuck with you, even though he doesn't have uh any counters in that entire and that's deck. Such a bad like even if you did have counters in your deck, even if you had a lot of counters, it's almost never correct to bluff a counter spell. <laughs> right. Just like it's almost like, never correct to play around the counter that you think your opponent has, like unless mm-hmm. you really need that card. To, to resolve to to like for your game plan to function like they're just gonna counter it next turn like unless you right. or or you have like a big advantage on board and you have another way of like pressing you know like why would you so yeah Alan, Alan knows this he knows the correct way to play yeah, he knows yeah. that you know the correct way to play but he's next leveling your next level bullshit it's oh my god that man it's the level of manipulation that that man has (laughs) one over me but two over an entire pod especially over you he no he has broken me um (laughs) and i don't mind being on a recording saying this but he (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those things where it's like you know, I am the level of magic player I am today because of him. Yeah. Compared to when you and I started and I put every single card of each color into one deck. Because that's not how you're supposed to play. <laughs> okay, but to be fair, time, we were 10 years old. Eight, nine, yeah. Nine, <laughs> 10 years old. Yeah. Uh, man, I've, I, I will die on this fucking hill of just if there's one thing i i very much believe in learn from your mistakes and grow and don't change your history the one thing in my life that i would take back is giving away my magic card collection in high school uh-huh. it was a terrible decision i had so I, many cards we've got kids who play at the local shop sometimes and i just like absolutely dumpster them and then they feel bad and then i pull out the story like no 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 no. you're so much better than than i was when i was your age right (laughs) oh my gosh dude i I just like just keep with it you are on a great trajectory because like yeah when i was your age not and now and i feel like i'm a million years old saying the phrase when i was your age when i was your age age, (laughs) i was like this is my green deck it's all of my green deck cards draw for turn and just, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, just I feel, reaching yeah. way up to the top, top of Giant Set. Like- or, or the time when in my very first set of cards, like my first booster, I opened a Leviathan. 
I was like, all right, I fucking got this. But this is the also, greatest card ever. <laughs> this is the greatest card ever. It's t- nine mana, and you have to sack two islands to untap it. And you have to sack two more to make it attack. But <laughs> but it's a 10 10 with it's like 10 10. I don't even think it had trample. <laughs> oh my gosh and and i didn't have I, I i only had six islands and blue was my deepest color for good cards so i split it among two and so i had to phantasmal terrain my own swamp turn it into an island just to cast it because has four blue pips and it's cast to cost and i have to sacrifice all four islands just to get it to attack once say it connects they're like <laughs> for cool. you to, for you to block with a one one land right. elves <laughs> and even if it connects they're like cool i'm at 10 you can't cast blue spells the rest of the game <laughs> fun buddy have fun <laughs> oh man yeah good times good times Magic, magic. I'm I'm impressed at magic. It's the the longevity is incredible. Yeah, they thirty keep, years now. They've done so many things where they where the community is like, this is going to kill magic, and here it is. <laughs> yeah, impressive. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so should we just like, yeah, let's record a podcast. We're done. I guess so. <laughs> what are we doing here? What is this? Podcast called Hive is my superpower. We talk about comics that so hyped on. Yeah, I'm Steve Storman here with my best buddy Will Freeland, and that's the introduction. Will, would you read this week? Not as much as I wanted to, but I think I can. I think it's okay. Um, okay. I read the rest, the second half of Jason Aaron's eleventh volume of Avengers because the middle issue was the AXE Judgment Day. Issue. Oh yeah. Along those same lines, I read the second two thirds of Amazing Spider-Man Volume Three of Zeb Wells' right. run because the first into- issue was Hellfire Gala and the second issue was AXE. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> and then I also read a mini series. Hey, so getting used to saying that Gambit, Thickest <laughs> um, Thieves, set in the past with Roe. Hmm. And then nice. I was I started Defenders Beyond, which is going to be right up my alley of just like holy crap, look at this stuff. Yeah, uh, but I'm only like an issue and a half in. So nice next week. How weird does it feel to be doing a regular episode? We've done uh, one. I felt we've done very unprepared. <laughs> <laughs> right, so weird. We've done one regular like non Krakoa Rush episode in the last like. Two, three months, months, something like that. <laughs> yeah, that too. and non-AXE, like yeah. Yeah, there's there's yeah, that that rush was fun. It was. Um, my pile is mad at me. Oh, you know what else I found out? What's that? Remember how I said that two of the last three weeks no comics came out? Yeah. It's that Marvel.com's 
website wasn't loading the issues, the books that came out. (laughs) So I found a third-party site that actually lists every comic that comes out, not just Marvel's, and then you can filter it down to Marvel and TPs and all that kind of stuff. And there were three books that I missed in those two weeks. So Okay. There's there. They keep coming out. (laughs) (laughs) It's strange (laughs) that they just keep publishing comic books. I don't know why they would do that to you. Uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, okay, 52 weeks in a year, there's maybe four or five that don't have any books that come out, any TPs yeah. that come out. Any trip, yeah. So, you know, whatever, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, they're they're publishing how many titles at once? Like 40, um, the 30? only time The only time I've ever been told was like eight, nine years ago from yeah. John and there yeah. was 51 uh, Marvel titles at the time. Dear God. So you're, you're, you're rough, You're on the hook for roughly a hundred trades a year. At, that at doesn't include bare, minis. Bare minimum. Okay. That, yeah. Yeah, doesn't, that doesn't include the like mini series or specials like a black, white and blood type thing or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or the crossover events and all their side stories. Dear God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like every mini se- like I like Gambit wouldn't be in that like count because of the time that's just like, ongoing. If, if Gambit yeah. was May to November, if right. I'm having this conversation in March, that's not on that list. Like, right. <laughs> so, yeah. Couple hundred yeah. or not couple hundred, I guess. Probably I should actually. I'm, now I'm kind of curious. Dang, because <laughs> I've got you know decades of books, man. Mm. Okay, so <laughs> biggest tangent I've ever had. Um, Go for it. I have library thing with my uh, right catalog of comics that I have. Yeah, you have them tagged stream for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I have took you a long time to get through all of your comics. In each box, and each box is numbered, and yada, yada, yada. When Alana and I, if we, assuming we still plan to get her by her grandparents' house, I have all of my comics in the basement in my man cave. Yeah. One of the projects I want to do is reorganize those books to get the, all of the like Captain Marvels in one box kind of a thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. All the X-Men in one box instead of instead of it being chron- chronological, have them right. <laughs> grouped by title. Yeah. Uh, it just makes it easier to find. <laughs> totally. Um, and so when going through that, maybe I add tags for the year that they came out. And mm-hmm. so I can actually just look up each year that I have the things. Nice. <sighs> cool. That'll be fun. I'm excited for that. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed having a normal week. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> <laughs> this is what we call a pregnant pause. <laughs> I read some Wolverine. Okay. Rob Liefeld's on Wolverine now. Okay. I read some Wolverine and Iron Fist miniseries. Okay. I read some cable. I read some Deadpool. I mean, on paper, those aren't bad titles. <laughs> new new creative team on Deadpool also. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. I can't wait. <laughs> I, I, oh man. 
Start us off. In. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's do it. Okay. So Avengers. Jason Aaron. I feel so bad because I was so hyped on Jason Aaron as a writer. It's just he continually proves to me that he shouldn't be on a team book. So I only had two issues to read. And mm-hmm. so this TP is issues 57 through 62. Issue mm-hmm. 60 was the AXE crossover. Right. 57, 58, and 59 were already covered. And that was them just hopping through time on 616 to deal to chase the Mephisto going around trying to destroy the primal powers. Yeah. And so we got to meet different ghostwriters and different Odin or Thor and different hosts of the Phoenix and yeah. Star Brand and blah, 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 obnoxious stuff. Um, and then guess, and then the AXE crossover hardly had anything to do, it, it, yeah. despite being the first word in the acronym AXE being Avengers. It was <laughs> it was just Captain America and Iron Man, and then the rest of the Avengers were just kind of there. Yeah, <laughs> and then in this and it didn't have anything in, to in do with their ongoing title except oh they live in a dead celestial, right. And it, it's kind of funny that, oh, dude, I read another book. Oh, no. <laughs> it was an Eternals book, and it was so good. Wow. I was so excited to talk about it. Okay, well, I'll, okay. I'll find it in a minute. But anyway, yeah, and then the, and then the Avengers issue, or the AXE issues, um, Hawkeye's Judgment. Anyway, right. 61-62 is, it focuses on... Brandy, who is the star brand, and every time she's been using her, she, we Wait, introduced her as a baby. I just put this together. Star brand's name is Brandy. Yes, because she doesn't have a name. Oh, she. I was, guess that's a little better. She was born with the star brand in Shiar space, and her mother died. So okay, her mom got the star brand while she was pregnant with this baby. She was in a Shi'ar prison. And then... Um, so many prisons, the Shi'ar. <laughs> and then so on and so forth. And she died and gave birth to this girl and gave her the star brand. So she doesn't have a name. And so they're just calling her Brandy. Yeah. Okay. In the same in that's the same so, way. That, that no, that's call... that's better. That's better. That's better than <laughs> than some real nineteen sixties no, yeah. ass. Yeah. No. <laughs> in the same way that Remy's name is Remy LeBeau. <laughs> right. Doesn't, we don't know what his birth name is because he was never sure. been given one. Canonically. Right. It's on the nose because they didn't have anything else to call her. Not because exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And for whatever reason, whenever she. Whenever she uses her power <laughs> to a larger degree, she, her body ages up. So at the beginning of this Avengers run, she was a newborn baby. And then in Heroes Reborn, with the altered reality where what if the Avengers never existed? Uh, um, yeah. She's a she's a like she's like five. And yeah. then that reality gets reset, come back here, and then she uses her power. She throws a tantrum, uses her powers a bunch, and turns into uh, a child, like around like nine. And yeah. then in volume 10, she ages up to a young adult. So that's where okay. she is now. 
she goes through the two issues, and by the end of the two issues, she is a frail old woman. Huh. Interesting. So, so they're not planning on using that character for very long. Apparently. <laughs> okay. Um, just just for Jason Aaron's front, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so the the Avengers are still jumping around through time trying to fight Mephisto in these different time periods as Mephisto is going through and trying to take out the legacy powers. 61, you have, you spend more time than usual in the year 1047, which is the Viking age. And you have a Godzilla Mephisto. (laughs) Okay. Fighting Boldolf the Black, the strongest Viking there ever was. This Merkfoot, the ape-man mystic, is the Sasquatch Sorcerer Supreme. Young Thor, just after he uh, was able to lift Mjolnir, so he has both Mjolnir and Yarnborn. Theodosia Zardos, who um, okay. was burned at the stake for being a witch. The, the Zardos family, the the winding way, they, they're uh, sorcerers from like uh, X-Men and Excalibur. Nightcrawler's longtime girlfriend, Amanda Sefton, her real name is Jemaine Zardos. She is, and then her mother, Margali Zardos, is blah, 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 blah. Uh, Yeah, cool. You've read stuff with with Amanda Sefton. I know you have, but she's a a deep cut who I'd like to see in in Krakoa. Yes, but we established that I have, but I also didn't know who she was when I read it. Right, (laughs) yes. She is the current Phoenix Force wielder. She's the Phoenix Witch of Wondagore. Okay. And then Nehanda, the renegade panther, and her lover, Princess Gale, the outlaw Atlantean Iron Fist. Also, the mysterious grizzly rider of of Kukukia. Okay. I know I say this every time we read Jason Aaron's adventures. Uh, Jason Aaron. It's just ka-chunk, 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 staple, staple, staple. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it really is. Here's the thing, like, I'm okay with like ridiculous, uh, I'm more than okay with ridiculous shit in comics. And like, you know, <laughs> you want to wild out and do something ridiculous, be my guest. Like, I'm, I'm all for like having big, crazy things going on in comics, but it, it, it's, it's kind of done without any sense of wonder or like, it's just like, hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Mm, okay. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> It's funny because, like, I'm now that I'm selling myself on Jason Aaron's approach. Right? Yeah, it reads to me as Marvel, also knowing Jason Aaron's approach and being like, <laughs> "Let's challenge him to question the Avengers." <laughs> yeah, and yeah. See what he does. Let's let's make the Avengerist. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, oh, I hope that I hope they regret their decision. Like it was. <laughs> It was the first seven volumes I had a great time with. It's just now that we're at that point at the end where he has to prove things up, pay things up, pay things off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be, you have to do the payoff. It it feels like we're stumbling at the finish line Mm, in the same way that like on a very, on a much lesser degree where I was kind of complaining about the end of Zdarsky's run on Daredevil. Oh yeah. Yep. So it was like, it, it was so close to making this statement about the prison system and the yeah. police system in America. And it was so close to being 
like profound, but then totally. he sums it all up with a, a, a fist fight and that lasts all of two issues and then back to status quo. It's just like, yeah, oh, you were so yeah. close. So yeah. close. Uh, anyway, that's what the ending of, it feels like the ending of Jason Aaron's run on Avengers. Okay. Is like. So anyway, Brandy, so Brandy got sidelined by the Avengers because her power is too unpredictable and she's too new to her power. And she's like, sure. me like she said something about like to, when Captain Marvel was telling her to sit out, she was like, aren't I old enough to decide that for myself? And she's saying this in the playroom <laughs> that she was using literally just like a couple weeks ago. It's kind of funny. <laughs> and, and, Captain, and Carol's looking around. She's like, no. You're not <laughs> actually. <laughs> That's good. And so, so they're going off on their mission, and Brandy's pissed. And so she uses her own star brand power to start jumping through time on her own. And so mm-hmm. she goes to 1047 to help the um to help fight Mephisto. And then she jumps to 1924 in Hong Kong, where Knuckles O'Shaughnessy, who's the dead end <laughs> kid spirit of vengeance, and Grandmaster Wong, China's mightiest hero, Master of Shaolin, Hunga, and the eleventh special fist are fighting Mephisto possessed people. And she shows up there and 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 knocks everyone on their on their ass. And then she jumps to 66 million years ago, where we have the first star brand, which is the T-Rex. And it just makes me excited that they brought him back. But anyway, T-Rex has this like mental connection with Brandy because they are both star brands. And they have um, both branded the star. Yes. And he talks about to well, emotes to her how he it makes him happy that the world continues on after his life and that she has others around her that are powerful like her, whereas he is alone. But also, and this is where Jason Aaron is getting, is taking Hickman's uh, origin of star brand and really turning it on its head. The meteor that crashed on earth that destroyed the dinosaurs is what, what, (laughs) is that a white event? Apparently. But oh they God. don't say that it's a white event. They yeah. just it just says the meteor that wiped out the dinosaurs. That's how the star brand first came to Earth. And the way he words it is that it came to Earth and not that it is a planetary defense created system. by Earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But whatever, it's not a big deal. Yeah. It's just you know time passes and and stories change. And then you get to, and then she jumps to 1868 and fights the American West. Um, uh, and then like. Then there's a montage of her punching different Mephistos. Um, <laughs> and that ends with her being super, super old and withered. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the last issue focuses on Agamotto, who was the Sorcerer Supreme representative or the magic slash Sorcerer Supreme representative on the prehistoric Avengers. Okay. Um, this is post-birth of Thor. So the prehistoric Avengers have been, are broken up. Okay. Um, And uh, Agamotto feels the presence of Mephisto coming. And so he's going around trying to regather the troops because he needs to fight Mephisto. So he has, he meets up with, um, (laughs) he meets up with the, with the old, with the old Ghost Rider, meets up with, the Iron Fist Lady and Iron Fist Lady talks about how she she's met up with Moon Knight. Um, huh, and okay. he's this like 
caveman with a crescent moon tattoo on oh, his chest. Oh my goodness. Okay. It's yeah. And Caveman Starbrand has been hanging out on the moon. And so he goes and says <laughs> hi to him. Black Panther doors are closed off. And Agamotto's like, oh, a pain so great. I fear their doors will remain barred to the rest of the world for a very long time. Like, okay. Uh, and they okay, um, yeah. go, goes and talks to Odin, tries to recruit him. And he's like, fine, as long as Phoenix isn't going to be there. And, and Agamotto's like, yeah, Phoenix is gone. Don't worry about it. And then he casts a spell and... You have Odin, Caveman, Ghost Rider, Starbrand, Iron Fist, Moon Knight, and Agamotto showing up in present time to the current roster of Avengers. And that's where it ends. So, okay. There we go. We're getting there. <laughs> yeah. Um, <sighs> Spider Man. So, so How this did volume it go is so wrong. We love Zebwell's, a lot of stuff he does. Zebwells does do some good stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder. See, I feel. Um, fly, I want to be a fly on the wall for this hiring of Zebwells. Like, yeah. I like they just tell him like, "Hey, completely f Peter over." <laughs> yeah. Well, I do. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't know. It clearly there is an editorial mandate to not let Spider Man, like. To keep him stuck in a certain sort of place. And, and that's the same for every comic book character, right? Like the illusion of, of progress. And you can't go too far. Spider-Man's the, the hardest example to do that with because the title is so centered around him personally and his, you know, mm-hmm. inner life and the struggles that he goes through and his struggle to become, a, you know, to be the best person he can be. That is where you change as a person and, you know, <laughs> in order to, you know, keep publishing him, they have to make him not change. Right. And, it's, but like the, the, the lengths that they go to do it, it just seemed kind of like, like, no, I'm sorry. The, 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 the ship sailed, the ship sailed a long time ago. You're, you're making the wrong Spider-Man comics now. hmm <laughs> You know, like you, you, you have to let Spider-Man be the exception. You have to let the Spider-Man story that you were telling from roughly like, you know, with, with lots of hiccups, like from 1963 to 2005, (laughs) you kind of have to like, they decided that's not the Spider-Man story, you know? We're 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 going. We want to we want to treat Spider Man like all of our other heroes and and give him the illusion of change. Do resets to status quo, and yeah, I I just think that that you just have to treat him differently. And I I think where they padded that, like so, Marvel's like okay, well we have to reset him at some point, and then yeah. I think it makes me so if given your point which i fully agree with if given your point then how do we buy time before (laughs) we have to reset them and that's when you get spider-verse yeah yeah and so they padded the last 10 years with spider-verse stories and threats from the multiverse that are specifically built for spiders and now I, i thought superior was a great way to do that too yeah, and and, you know? and because it 
Like it's a it's a new take and it's clearly going to be temporary. And yeah. the break from that is is how you organically reset Peter Parker. Right. Because you had someone else running around in his, in his shoes. And it wasn't it wasn't a mystery to us. <laughs> and that's why, like on its face, I like the the concept or the idea of like something happened, Peter's life is fucked. Like, let's let's dig into what it was and his attempts to make things better and like slowly reveal what it was and why it happened. Like, I think that's a good concept for a book, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like everything they're doing around the edges of just like, okay, I'm specifically talking about torturing his relationship with MJ to absolute (laughs) death. Yeah. You know, like, (laughs) there are things where it kind of strains the character to the point where it's like you, you're not, I don't know. I guess they haven't revealed. But I'm not reading it myself. They haven't revealed they're, what they're their dragging why. their feet. Yeah, we are. We are twelve issues of non crossover stuff <laughs> deep. Yeah, and and they haven't touched on like it's it's been this afterthought of plot yeah. for yeah. a year now. Yeah, and we still haven't seen where it's going. Yeah. And, and include and just how much can happen in six? I guess a lot can happen in six months. But like when you start again, the six month jump, that's like that's like five years of publishing. <laughs> Seriously, when you start with the six month jump after a run like Nick Spencer's run that ends in Sinister War, where he has it's it's Spider Man up against sixty of his or thirty <laughs> of his uh, rogues gallery. Yeah, it's around 40. It doesn't matter. And then you do a six-month gap. And in that gap, <laughs> you had Pete in a coma and Ben Riley going around as Beyond's Spider-Man. Right. And then becoming Chasm. And then Pete coming back, getting trained by Cap and Black Cat. And then right. his relationship with MJ falls apart. She has children who are older than six months. And mm-hmm. And so many other things. <laughs> it, yeah. just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Anyway, so you read the AXE crossover where he's been judged by the progenitor with Gwen Stacy. You also read uh, the Hellfire, the Hellfire yeah. issue where uh, he... Uh, MJ, Moira, MJ, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that gives us three issues. Sorry, four issues. Ew, I thought it was three. Anyway, main story is Ned Leeds is back. Ned Leeds is the second Hobgoblin, uh, second after Roger Kingsley, because Roger Kingsley was going to get caught, and so he brainwashed Ned Leeds into thinking <laughs> that he was Hobgoblin, so he became the Hobgoblin. It's um, one of the 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 weirdest editorial it's mistakes between new creator like creator handoffs on a book that's happened in Marvel history. You know, there was one, one writer who was like, Oh yeah, this character is going to be the hobgoblin. And then another was like, no, actually. Oh, but what if it was this person? (laughs) Yeah. And then they had to do like a a large series of retcons to never mind. (laughs) All I'm saying, anyway, the the larger point is watch out for Ned in the Spider-Man movies. (laughs) Yeah. So, Roger Kingsley used a machine called the Winkler device okay. to uh, mess with Ned Leeds' mind. Anyway, 
point is Ned Leeds came back because of a editorial retcon to bring <laughs> him back. It gets referenced in a in back in I don't even remember when it happened, and I don't personally care when it happened. Um, <laughs> well done. <laughs> for what it's worth. But point is, Ned Leeds is back. He's married yeah. to Betty Brandt. Betty Brandt, um, yeah. They have a child together. Uh, mm-hmm. His name is Winston. But yeah, he came back. Oh, that was saved by his goblin serum. So I guess Ned Leeds has goblin serum, and that's what saved him. According uh, to the retcon. Anyway, okay. Ned is where is going is is back and working uh, as a, a reporter, and he's convinced that Roderick Kingsley is working with Norman Osborne to steal their baby. Okay. Paranoia, paranoia, paranoia. Yeah. The baby's gonna have natural goblin serum. The same way uh, it's, it's like a it's like it's a plot reference to Norman Osborne's twins that he quote unquote so had with Quinn Stacy, even though they so gross. not because Mephisto and thank you, Nick Spencer, for undoing that. Yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, and so he's so he's throwing on the hobgoblin costume to mess with shit and yada yada. Sure. yada. Meanwhile, Pete current is now working for Norman Osborn. He has an intern Kamala Khan. Yep. And Spider-Man goes and meets up with Black Cat. And he's like, Hey, I know where this is going because I'm single now. And we have this whole like will they won't they thing going on and right. black hat's like do you want to nip it in the bud is that what's what this is and he's like no i want to like ask you out on a proper date before this mm-hmm. gets out of hand yeah and she's like she goes maybe and then leaves so it's like okay anyway so <laughs> pete's been helping norman build a suit that uh, i don't know it's i i know it seems the title like a- Okay. Anyway, it's this white and gold suit that's basically Green Goblin armor, but smooth. Yeah, it seems like a bad idea. Yeah, but so Norman doesn't want to wear it because he doesn't want to do anything that's going to send him back down that path. Because remember, he got absolved of his sins from Cedar. And so at every step of the way, he's given... (laughs) he. In these four issues, there's like five different situations where he is tempted with... Becoming the old Norman Osborn, right? Thwarts it, and right. but then ends with that like and then side like, look. Eh, but maybe, eh. and you're like, mm. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Ned Leeds has a picture of Osborn meeting with Roger Kingsley, so okay. that's what's sending him off the spiral. And so sure. Ned reached out to Pete because he found out that Pete's working for Osborn, and Ned's like, "Cool, I have a man on the inside come to work yeah. for me." And 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 Pete's like, "Listen." Osborne and I have been through a lot. Like, he's on a good track right now. I don't think this yeah. is him. Like, and Ned Lee's is like, oh, fine. So you're not going to help me? Fine, I'm out. And then anyway, so Pete goes and confronts Osborne. He's like, yeah, what is this? And he's like, yeah, uh, Kingsley is confronting me because basically Roger Kingsley used to be a tech mogul and mm-hmm. Osborne absorbed his company. And so Roderick is back and he's like, hey, I want my stuff and I want it back with interest. And Osborne is having the papers drawn up to give him back all of the companies that he took from Kingsley. 
Okay. Uh, it's doing everything legit. Yeah. They have a they have a meetup, and Norman just gives them the papers back, and Kingsley's like, "Wait, seriously? But that's all it takes." <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, I'm a I'm, I'm a new man. I don't want anything. Uh-huh. Like, I want to be able to wash my hands of this. Here are yeah. your companies. You'll see yeah. that they've done really well." Um, uh-huh. So, you know, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> and I'm out. And then yeah. as he's leaving, so he showed up alone. Kingsley showed up with his two, with like a mob, basically. Um, yeah. And then Hobgoblin shows up and takes out the entire mob and and beats Kingsley and Osborne. Turns out mm-hmm. that was Ned. And it's like, oh my gosh, sure. no way. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Kingsley gets taken back by his goons to go and heal somewhere. Osborne gets picked up by the medics. So he's in the hospital. Hobgoblin fights uh, Spider-Man and they and Hobgoblin rips off his mask and it turns out to be Kingsley. He's like, wait, what the hell? He's like, but but uh, but you were with Osborne when Hobgoblin attacked. And Kingsley says, I was. And then Spider-Sense goes off and then another Hobgoblin shows up and it's Ned and Kingsley. Oh, because shit. Kingsley's got Ned back in the Winkler device to use him and it's two hobgoblins. And for whatever reason, Spider-Man can't handle two hobgoblins at the same time. And <laughs> even he's though wearing... he's never really broken a sweat with hobgoblin in the past. Yeah. <laughs> he's never had to deal with Zeb Wells' writing. <laughs> so Oof. he's wearing he's wearing the like goblinish. Not goblinish, the Osborne upgraded suit. Yeah. That is a helmet instead of like cloth. And then it also has like some light green like bubbles on his arms. And they're filled with like little spider bots, which is incredibly creepy. And he does it just to fuck with people. Like he'll just <laughs> throw it on somebody, it breaks, and just like millions of little nanobots just like oh, crawl over their face and stuff. No. It's non lethal, but it's really creepy. Anyway, he also yeah. has a glider that he calls Bug. Okay. Because why not? Anyway, sure. so Bug catches him and he's going to go on glider. And then uh, someone from Oscorp goes and gives Osborne his laptop in case he wants to work at the hospital. And he's right. like, yeah, I do have a lot of work to do. Okay. So he's working and then he gets a notification that the spider armor is being used. So he tunes in and he sees that Pete's having a real tough time against two hobgoblins. And so he busts out the... The golden, the gold, was it called gold yeah. goblin? The gold glider armor? God. Um, He's just throws it on, he, saves him. It's like, I can't be tempted, but I'm going to use all the same names. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I think it's gold glider. I don't know. It doesn't okay. matter. Anyway, he's still he the goblin glider. He's, it's, it's, yes. yeah. Yeah, he shows up and saves his day. Pete, Pete's helmet. So, so the main difference between the two hobgoblins is Ned leads. Ziz Hobgoblin uses the pumpkin bombs and yeah. Roger Kingsley's uh, Hobgoblin uses like finger lasers. Okay. Anyway, Roderick grabs Pete's head and shoots oh. off the lasers and it just blows up his helmet. And so Damn. his face is all charred, but now he's, yeah. he's unmasked dealing with the two Hobgoblins. I don't yeah. know if Ned or, or Roderick know who he is, but <laughs> right. like that happened. Because <laughs> he, um, he knows, you know, he knows Ned very well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Roderick knows who Pete is, but they're dealing with Roderick Probably. now. I don't know. Yeah. So Ned got 
knocked it. Yeah. So <laughs> Hobgoblin, Hob- Roderick got knocked off his glider. Ned catches him. Roderick is like, cool, you've served your use. I just needed to get to Osborne. See you later. Knocks him out and he goes falling. Of and then, yeah, it is Ned that they, anyway, Roderick <laughs> gets away. Ned yeah. is caught by Spidey, unmasked, but his face is charred. And then Ned grabs him like face to face. So like, Ned has to know. <laughs> like, if I saw you yeah. and your face <laughs> was charred, I would still know it was you. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. But whatever. <laughs> right? I could identify you if you if you got some soot on your face. Um, anyway, Osborne takes him and starts punching him and starts losing control. Pete stops him. He's like, hey, he's passed out. You're fine. He's like, yeah, right. Of course. Yeah. And then in the aftermath, Osborne thanks his assistant who brought him the computer because without that, you know, yeah. he would have died. And she's like, what are you talking about? I didn't bring you the laptop. Uh-oh. Um, and Osborne's like, okay. And then <sighs> Roderick goes back and he is reporting into somebody. And then they're like, yeah, he's like, they have leads. There won't be, he won't be any use for us now. Uh, won't be any use for this Winkler device now. He's like, uh, none that you'll remember. Turn your mind off now. It's in my hands. He says, yes, turn mind off your hands. Good boy. I needed two, I needed two of you in the end, but we succeeded. Osborne's back on the road to becoming his true self. Then you flip, and it's this the red goblin girl. Oh. Not menace. <laughs> uh, but she she got created in Nick Spencer's run. And I forget sure. her name. But we haven't seen her in like 12 yeah. volumes of Spider-Man. Jeez. Um, yeah. The last issue is Ben Riley as Chasm. So we get a slight dive into what's going on. So I don't fully get it, but the point <laughs> is Ben Riley. So when Ben was working for Beyond Corporation, he found out that they were manipulating his memories to the point yeah. where when Things were going off insane. They wiped like way too much of his memories because people got involved while they were doing his wiping. Uh huh. Whatever. He doesn't remember anything of Peter Parker's life. Okay. Anymore. Interesting. Um, and because and because of that, he has like five percent of what memory he should have. <laughs> and he's pissed, but he blames Pete slash Spider Man, and he blames sure, why not? Beyond Corporation. So that's a little he more wants. Yeah. Reasonable. So anyway, the reason his name is chasm because, you know, there's a chasm in his memories. So anyway, oh, okay. um, he makes a reference to, he says beyond made a clandestine deal for an old military skunk works program, project purgatory, which is a reference to new mutants volume three, number nine. Huh? Okay. And he has been stealing some of their equipment to finish the project. Basically, according to the notes, they got to a point where they couldn't figure out the final problem. And Uh Ben believes himself smart enough to figure it out. He's obsessing about, he's obsessing about this. And so Janine Gobdy is like, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I gotta go. And so she's about to leave. And then, she gets made and cops called on her. So she has to run back and she's like, there's nowhere I can go. Ben, I'm in 100%. Like, okay. And then, and that, that, so this issue is broken up into three chapters. 
one called that one was spring and then summer is ben going and standing and looking outside looking at where pete lives and then that bill collector that's been hunting down pete right sees ben and he's like hello mr parker and he's like that's not me he's like no i know what you look like (laughs) oh boy we yeah you you still (laughs) you still owe all that money we've been calling around asked where you were holed up no one knew you didn't make your sweet little old aunt lie for you, did you? And he says, I don't have an aunt, not anymore. I'm leaving now. Where are you going to be? We want our money, Parker. And he's like, I'll be sure to tell him. So he he walks away. And then from the tech that they stole, there was some like decades old skin that was used as a sample. It it's, it's the key to setting off the ignition. So anyway, it opens up a portal and Ben walks through and it shoots into limbo where... Madeline Pryor's hanging out. What? Yeah. And so Madeline's hanging out in this place that calls out all of your insecurities. And so there's all these goblins being like, an empty husk, an unreal thing, a nothing person from a nowhere place. And then Ben shows up as Chasm and his goblins are saying the same kind of thing. And they're like, hey, we have a, we uh, we have similar demons here. Um, oh, no. Both being clones. Um, they're going to hook up. They're gonna have well creepy clone sex. That so, uh, and she's like, <laughs> okay, it was just me who was thinking that. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Chasm's like, hmm, my demons kind of sound like your demons, and she's like, ah, that they do. Shh, look, they found each other, and they kind of pair off and they start sniffing at each other. Are you sure that they're not going to hook up and have creepy clone sex? Because it oh, really seems then, like they're about to hook up and have creepy clone sex, and then. Well, because Ben is like, they're not going to start smooching, are they? And Madeline says, oh, no, they're too similar. Like you said, the only thing familiarity breeds is, well, you'll see. And then you flip the page and then they all start gouging each other and and, and tearing each other apart. Anyway, so he's like, oh, interesting. And then she's been eating this like skull apple from from a tree. And she's like, here, have some. And he's like, okay, cool. And then... (laughs) Uh, he's like, hey, yeah, been been pretty lost until I felt this place pulling on me. She's like, hmm, Limbo has taken on the flavor of its queen, calling others who know my pain, calling you home. It's no coincidence you found your way here, Chasm. Let this be a sanctuary for those like us. Now come, let's see what we can do for each other. Sorry, four chapters. And then the fourth chapter is Janine and Ben hanging out at the in Madeline's castle okay. in whatever and then janine has this like look of just like uh they're talking about their plans on what they're going to do yeah because madeline's like i'm the queen of limbo what could i possibly want and he's like the same thing i do both of our lives are stolen both of us know where the thieves live and so like let's get you know what's ours back and janine's like man she's feeling useless because she doesn't have powers blah 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 and so uh madeline goes and meets up with her and she's like hey do you want power (laughs) and so she has sim's finger and okay, she's like, I, I don't know. And she's like, honestly, like, so a tribute I collected from its owner, the bastard. Oh, I, it's just a finger. It's not necessarily Sims. He says he okay. used it to set me free once. I can do the same for you, but you must ask me to. And he's, and so she's like, I don't know. I don't know. He's like, well, she's like, do you want the power to be complete? Because I can give that to you. And she's like, yeah, give it to me. She's like, all right. So she stabs her with the finger. And then she starts <laughs> encanting. And she's like, I see you, Elizabeth Tyne. I see you, Janine Gopti. I see you, Sarah Porter. I see you, Mary Bailey. They were the many 
They were, they made you wear many masks and you chose none of them. Enough of that. And it says, Balakaiya, um, <laughs> which apparently is a spell and says, for now, you choose. And then she, like a mask shows up on her face and says, a mask curse them. And she takes off and says, a mask to make them bleed and removes that. And she's like, what, what is happening? A mask to splinter bone. And she removes that mask. And she's like, they insist on seeing a monster. You will. Uh, become a monster, but the choice will be yours and endless. This is your gift, Hallow's Eve. And so now we have a okay. limbo-infused powered Janine Gondi Goblin yeah. going by Hallow's Eve. Okay. And then the winter chapter is Ben standing outside of that place again, so where Peter lives, and the bill collector is still there. <laughs> oh, he's got okay. a life, right? So Ben has his little inner monologue. It says, it's really coming down now, but that's okay. Talk about the, the fucking snow. Yeah. You, uh, you think you like the snow. Maybe you can't remember, to be honest, but you wanted to see how your life was being spent by the one who took it one last time before you take it back. And then the, and then guy's like, it's time to pay, Peter. He says, I was thinking the same thing. And he's like, you know, if you talk to everyone that knows you, and believe me, I have, you'd think you're a good guy who's fallen on hard times, but we know that's not true, don't we? We know deep down you're just a deadbeat. How does it feel to be a fake Peter Parker? And he's, did you just call me fake Peter Parker. It's like, uh, stop acting stupid. I know who you are and I know what you are. If you don't want the whole world to know you better and then Ben snap, uh, grabs his throat, holds him up in the air, says, my name is Ben. Ben something. Anyway, slams him <laughs> to the ground, punches him a bunch of times, picks him up, takes him with him. He's like, I'd like to offer you an exciting opportunity. Takes him back to Limbo to Madeline and Madeline's like, oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 they're back at that tree with the little like with the with the with the weird apples and yeah. and says hello hello Gus you're no stranger down here did you know that <laughs> uh, something about your attic and all the special tools there and he's like I didn't what? how did you you're scared aren't you you naughty naughty boy yes I have something to make you feel better this is the fruit of the tree of exquisite liberation eat it and you'll be free I can go home you can go free <laughs> and he's like okay and he eats it and then um his and then light something starts bleeding out of his entire body and then yeah um, of course <laughs> then madeline grabs it, it's like ah oh, there you are become untethered from the meat of you your soul is free she grabs the soul puts it into a cauldron sniffs it this is yes to uh she's holding his soul and chasm's like that's him then he's like yeah yes to inhale this would be to know all of him perhaps i'll allow myself just a taste and she sniffs it and says oh this was an evil evil man and chasm says this is how you become whole i think you figured it out thank you madeline says that isn't necessary and so she looks into the cauldron and she sees gene gray marvel girl and so that's her plan. And Ben look in, looks into the cauldron and he sees uh, Spider-Man. And there's like, yeah, I now have the opportunity to bite into the fruit that was handed to me to test if I was given limbo to rule or to simply hide away and not bother the ones who matter. You will have your army, Ben, by decree of the Queen of Limbo. Those who question my authority may take it up with me. And he says, accepted. As tribute, Hall's Eve will ensure that you receive your treasure from above. And I won't rest until my prey has tasted limbo's fruit. I will take all of him because Peter Parker's soul belongs to me. Next, Dark Web. I. I don't get it. I mean, I, I get what happened. The, right. I just, <laughs> I don't get why this is the story that you're telling, but yeah, we'll read Dark Web. 
You'll yeah. read all of Dark Web. I'll at least read the uh, X-Men tie-in, maybe the full main series and see yeah. what happens. Yeah, so basically Ben Ben was trying to like recruit Madeline into like doing all this. And she's like, I have very specific conditions that I can't break. Yeah. So I can't make a move on Krakoa. Um, right. And so Ben is just like, what if you, yeah, I know you can't, but what if you gave me your, your demons to do this? And so the loophole is the in- introduction of Ben Riley, which I will say, re- regardless of the execution, it is yeah. interesting to take two clones of very popular characters and have them cross paths and like find That's true. common ground. That's um, true. In the same way that like the first episode of, or maybe it's the second episode of Inhumans on, on Disney Plus, the, <laughs> the show is terrible, but right. the idea that Maximus shaved Medusa's head is insane. <laughs> Like that is a power move, un like unlike anything I've seen happen to her in the comics. Yeah, and so like, there's novelty here. I just I'm not sold on it. <laughs> in the same way, like they did a they did a clones side story called Scarlet Spiders in the first Spider Verse story, which was cool. It was one of the clones of Pete of Peter Parker from Ultimate Universe. It was Ben Riley and Kane. And like, yeah. that was cool. And at the time, Ben Riley of 616 was still dead. So it was Ben Riley from a different um, <laughs> spider, <laughs> Spider-Verse. Yeah. But like, it was three different clones with three different backstories doing, looking into the cloning facilities of the Inheritors. Like, it was a cool on the nose, random idea thing. And, but it's like, that's that should be a side story. It shouldn't be the right. main plot of what you're diving into. But whatever. Right. It, yeah. We'll see what happens. It could be fun. Okay. So that's the setup for Dark Web. Okay. It's on the Eternal book. Yeah. It it is one of those things where like I don't feel like it warrants an event, but I also feel like it's something that they wanted to. Do but didn't want to use the main titles to do it, and they've been putting so much emphasis on Ben Riley for the last little while. Yeah, I, I I'm just like I guess this is what they're paying off towards, you know? Right? Like, yeah, yeah. And so it, this kind of like explains or justifies like something I didn't understand, which was <laughs> why why do you want me to care about Ben, ben Riley? Yeah. Yeah, and like it makes me feel bad because quote unquote he's the first, but like Kane Parker is so much cooler than Ben yeah. Riley. But whatever. I also forgot to tell you that I read Spider Punk: Battle of the Band, but I can sum it up in two sentences real quick. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Spider Punk got MVP of that movie. I know, which makes me so sad that I read this after Across the Spider Verse came out because. This you would have been lower bar for Spider Punk. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh okay. <laughs> anyway, Hobie Brown. So okay, Spider Punk, who was originally introduced as anar- anarchist Spider Man in the first Spider Verse event in twenty fourteen. Yeah, you would have had me goes, either way. Right? <laughs> who no? Who now goes by Spider Punk? Fights the man in his first. 
solo titles side story, he fights a venomized President Norman Osborn and decapitates him. <laughs> Down with the man. So it was... <laughs> It's a whole thing, but, like, he had, like, a Venom cop force that was oppressing everyone, and he set up a bus of speakers and jammed a cord and used the sound to to neutralize all the Venoms. He had a little monologue on Norman Osborn and used his, used his guitar to cut off his head. Okay. Anyway, so now you have a a U.S. without President Osborne, and he and Hobie thinks that the world can start to get better. Turns out he's wrong because there's <laughs> a legacy of terribleness that Osborne set up and as far as his empire and um, mm-hmm. his secret bunkers across uh, America that Hobie finds. So on and so forth. Anyway, he puts a spider band together to go and Oh, it also turns out that Osborne survived and is in a giant Arnim Zola-looking Krang suit. So Venomized Head Norman in a giant robot suit uh, is the main villain in this. So he puts the spider band together, which consists of this world's Captain Anarchy, who's Captain America. This is uh-huh. him. Uh-huh. His name uh-huh. is Carl Morningdew. Um, okay. Uh, oh, because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's Flag Smasher, right? Morgan Morgan Thal. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. This is this that it's flag smashing. And then you also have I don't know if it ever gives her full name, but Riri Williams is she has a riot heart suit. Okay. Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, but she only ever goes by Kamala. And she has she she has a you know, when you have those like iron knuckles with a word on them. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hers was going to say Embiggen, but it's Eubiggen for whatever reason. Okay. Yeah, so the four of them are the spider band. Their antagonists are Taskmaster, who we replace the S, S's with dollar signs. Also, his, like, hood over his... Uh, it's Mask. a devil lock. Dude, he's literally yeah. the Misfits logo. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Other antagonist is Craven. And they start, to, they find out about uh, these Norman secret bases and want to go to the main secret base, which is in DC. Oh, we have a Hulk. His name is Rick. It might be Rick Jones. I don't know or remember, but he was like, did they leave him behind? Uh, Because he has to keep an eye on the home base back in New York. They get in the spider van. The spider band goes in the spider van and hit the road. (laughs) They do their road tour. um, And say, hey, ho, let's go. They get to Philadelphia, which is now known as Philadelphia, which is being looked over by uh, Matea Murdoch. She is Daredevil, okay. the drummer of Philly. Everyone okay. is living, breathing band references. This? And like rock yes. references. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so she like, she like enhances her radar vision. Right. 
<laughs> right? She enhances her radar vision by taking her drumsticks and, and just jumping them out as like an echolocation okay. thing. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And like, and they fully pulled from Mark Wade for how she sees. Yeah. Um, which is cool. It was um, the best. Yeah. Yeah. They fight the Kingpin, who is oh boy, the he's a another reference that I should have written down as far as far as like what his antagonistic actions mm-hmm. are. He's he's the bad guy and he has he has three Japanese mutants as his hired muscle, Daken, Hisako, and Sunfire. And they have their fights. And uh, they're they do their things. It's I don't know. It's it's not good writing, but it's kind of fun to watch, just for like the references and the and stuff. I thought of you the entire time I was reading this book. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to check this out because yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Norman Osborn is the thing. Officer Venom, which is Eddie Brock with Agent Venom, or it might be Flash with Agent Venom, dressed as like Agent Venom. War yeah. Sentry, which is Bob Reynolds in a War Machine suit. Okay, and then yeah. Task Taskmaster with the dog signs for the S's. It's they so fight. funny that that the the Misfits guy <laughs> is the sellout, the dollar signs guy. <laughs> <laughs> Just a merch empire, not a band. Okay, sorry. Um, Continue. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know they fight and take down the man and then yeah uh, and yeah and it ends with a the end but they kind of like they talk about how they i guess they want to do more we'll see gambit Mm -hmm. miniseries five issues takes place between uncanny x-men 248 and 267 okay so that was early was that that might have been huh okay is it like with Kid um, Storm? Is it when he yeah. was first introduced? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I so I read on the back. So this is so this is written by Chris Claremont. Oh, there's there's a thing in the back by Mark Basso talking about. It says like astute readers will note that this story actually takes place during Uncanny X Men number six two sixty seven, the second part yeah. of Gambit's introductory storyline where he meets up with the de-aged Storm and begins his path to X Mendom. Yeah, why there specifically? Well, Chris wrote a montage into number sixty two sixty seven, one where we got only the faintest hint of Gambit and Rose's excellent thieving adventures, which gave yeah. us the perfect expandable window of lost time to explore Gambit in a crucial point of his history. Cool, I'm into it. Yeah, so it, it's it's that story. <laughs> we get introduced to so we see there's a scene with Ro and Gambit, Ro trying to take down Sh- Shadow King, which is a reference to X Men Two Sixty Six. The last time we see Shadow King, no, second to last time we see, see Shadow King, he makes his psychic attack on Moira. And then it says to see the consequences of this meeting, check out the Mirror Island saga. The Mirror Island saga, yeah. 268. And then Ro saves this girl who is stealing some clothes from being chased down by a cop. And then they all, and then she ends up being part of a group of cadets who are being trained by Sabine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Gambit and Sabine have their little conversation. And then Ro and Oh, what is her name? 
I don't think it <laughs> matters too much. Have a duel, row wins. And Sabine says, you know, um, there's uh, Shadow King is making some moves around town. If I knew he was here, uh, I wouldn't have had the cadets pull this job. Yeah. I suggest you get out. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Anyway, so she, Roe pulls a fast one on Shadow King and, sl- and hits him in the face with a pie. And then uh, we get introduced to Bounty. Doesn't ring a bell. Okay, all of these characters I'm going to name drop yeah. and just wait for a reaction because this is your era. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> bounty is a super strong bounty hunter, intergalactic bounty hunter. There is a there's a bounty out for Lila Cheney. Okay. And so, and she took on, she's taken on the the bounty and oh, she, she is a she is a recurring character, but not an X-Men comics. Oh. Fantastic Four. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But created bounty by Claremont. first appeared in Fantastic Four number 14 in 1998. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Uh, yeah. And then, so that is happening. And then Remy and Ro are driving around. Car chase, blind corner. They go off into the water. Remy tries to save her. She passes out. She gets saved by... Uh, a mysterious woman gets pulled her out and then while Ro and takes her she's like hey my mom is a doctor we can save her while she's knocked out she uh, Ro is visited by Ashake who yeah. tra- trains her in this dream space on how to fight and Ashake apparently is someone who has history with Shadow King and has gotten away from Shadow King before and she is Aurora's grandma, many, many times removed. Okay. So great, 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 great grandma. However many, many, many days. Looking her up, she has only also appeared in New Mutants number 32 and Mystic Arcana Magic. Oh. 2007. Yeah, that book. That was a, that was a weird book. I read that and I don't I couldn't tell you anything. I don't about think it. I, I I must have read it. I don't remember it at all. It's a I mean it's a it's a bigger book. It's it's a whole collected edition. Yeah, there were but like each issue followed a different magic user right. with a connecting plot line. Yeah, yeah. So mm. no, there you go. That's a shocking. Yeah. Um, okay, <laughs> so she's related to Roro. <laughs> um, sure. Anyway, so the girl that saved. Aurora in the water is Marissa DeCastro, and her mom is Gabriella DeCastro. <laughs> I just have to look up every single one of these. Gabriella DeCastro. <laughs> nope, she's a brand new character for this. Oh, interesting. Okay. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So Marissa DeCastro is former Marines, and she has you know this budding romance with whatever his name is, Remy. And they're being um, typical, typical man in white suit trying to buy to Castro's (laughs) land. His name is Solars, S-O-L-A-R-Z. Okay. Um, And he has hired some muscle and the muscle I thought was going to be, (laughs) I thought was going to be Colossus because it kind of looks like him. (laughs) (laughs) It does. 
but that guy's name ends up being something else. Obviously, uh, I'm I'm looking it up now. It's it's Warhawk, who Warhawk, is another yeah. obscure Claremont character who has appeared in three issues: one one issue of Uncanny, two of X Men, one of Wolverine, a handful of Luke Cage, and some Black Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I and don't then, remember him at all. I don't remember him in the slightest. Cool. Remy has Marissa wear his traditional gambit suit, which apparently why is, is that? Why is that hot to me? Why is that hot to me? That shouldn't be hot. <laughs> I'm a little weirded out. <laughs> I don't know. It is to you. So anyway, <laughs> uh, he. It's 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 good against projectiles, but it's not good against co- a melee combat, which I guess is a built-in story plot hole because it's supposed to be armor, but he probably gets stabbed a lot, I guess. None of that means anything. Yeah, sure, fine. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so he show, he shoots her point blank and it stops the bullet. And she's like, what the hell? And he's like, listen, I just want to let you know that you're safe. Don't get stabbed. Uh-huh. Then... But for whatever he's also like says, you know, leave your hair down because that'll help cloak the headpiece. Same applies here as with the body bullets, energy blasts, they'll just bounce off. Headache, maybe, but uh dead, not so much. So apparently the head his headpiece also will block bullets and energy blasts oh. for his head. I guess that makes it it it. I guess now there's a reason why he wears that ridiculous headpiece because it yeah. is so impractical. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, and, and then he also goes into the design of it's colorful in the chest to draw the attention for oh. when people aim. So it, people don't aim for his face. They aim for his chest. <laughs> anyway. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, while Aurora is being trained by Ashake, she pulls in the mom, Gabrielle, to help her train for whatever reason, because that it works. Anyway, so uh, Marissa is, goes and does fighting while Remy goes and does some thieving. Mm-hmm. He messes up Warhawk bad. Training, training, training. Bounty shows up, and then... More thefts, more gambling, uh, more Marissa, more training in the spirit realm, a shake place. And then Lila Cheney is doing a concert at like this air, like this rocket launch place. Like, okay. there's, a, there's like a giant, you know, like Saturn rocket um, on the uh-huh. background. And Lila shows up. He's like, hi, lover. And then Marissa's like, uh-huh. And she's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. I was, no, I was just playing. I'm sorry. Oh, hi, Marissa. I've heard about you. And oh, she, so she talks about how Lila's teleportation is only interstellar. Yeah. <laughs> that part I didn't know. I thought she was yeah. just like, I, I thought she was just the most effective teleporter. No, no, no. <laughs> so that, man, that's not a helpful. I mean, it could be helpful, but like... <laughs> no, it's 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 useful for as a plot hook. It's useful for Lila to show up and get you involved in some sort of zany adventure. It, <laughs> it's not it's not useful for her as an adventurer. Right. 
or as a superhero rather. So Gambit has his suit back. And so he has Lila take Marissa off world to go and get her own version of that suit. Meanwhile, this other team of three show up to um, call to, to collect the bounty on Lila's head. They team up with Solars and mm-hmm. Bounty and Gambit fight. Lila come, or Marissa and Lila come back, and Marissa's suit is just all pink instead of like the pink, blue, and black. Okay. Which doesn't do a whole lot. Oh, oh, Gambit. So Gambit gets the drop on Bounty, gets her on her on her stomach, and then does three taps on her back that paralyzes her because I guess he just knows these kinds of things. Of course, um, yeah. Pressure points type stuff, which means that Bounty has a similar build to humans, and she may just be a human, but um, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Um, whatever. She's like, what have you done? For, for what it's worth, it? the uh, the wiki has her listed as Bounty, parentheses, humanoid. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I'm not taking any chances with you. Those hits, the neural locks they trigger be unbreakable, but if but if y'all don't behave, oh, also, his his speech is written the way he was back in the '90s or whenever this story takes place, and so it's all like broken English, and everyone is share and uh, missing letters and extra right. apostrophes. Of course, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's Claire, uh, it's Claremont. We're 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 doing Claremont. Hmm. Marissa get uh, gets stabbed by Solars, and so her suit doesn't help. And then, so the the bounty hunters are Bonehead, which is a giant robot AI that uses the body uses it, someone's body as like a power source. And so, <laughs> okay, um, sure, yeah. So once it grabs Marissa, it it jettisons the old skeleton head that it had and it's going to use her as his new power source. What the absolute fuck? Mm-hmm. And the others are Cannabird and Tsunami without a T. And Bonehead starts just eating away at Marissa. Jeez. Um, like immediately. And then yeah. Tsunami is basically like the mutant from Morocco that just has like all of the oceans in its body. Uh huh. <laughs> and so he has, he's full of seawater for some reason, even though he's an alien, but it's salt water. I yeah. Guess, not seawater. Yeah. Anyway, it starts to engulf, it, go, it engulfs Aurora and Gabrielle, the mom. And Gabrielle's like, and well, Nashake like visits them and is just like, I trained you. Like, why are you not surviving? And Gabrielle's like, you're right. And then just like, consumes all of the water or something that Tsunami was using and then gives herself his armor. Um, okay. So now you have a new powered Dr. Gabrielle person. Flash Lady <laughs> Deathstrike looking weirdo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Bounty is fighting Cannabird and Gambit is fighting Bonehead with Marissa inside. Uh, Marissa has the soul of a soldier and so it's not it's fighting back against the efforts of the of bonehead and so like she's having like an internal struggle fight against bonehead while 
Gambit is having a physical fight against Bonehead. Bonehead tries to do a move and can't because it doesn't have full control. So on and so forth. Gambit, using his stick, is able to pry off a bunch of the armor. Eventually gets uh, Marissa out. And so she kind of has like a, a deathlock withered face, but her body is still normal. Okay. Um, and then... <laughs> and Bounty is like, I should take them off world to train them or whatever. And Marissa and Gabrielle are like, cool, let's go. And Gambit's like, I'm going with you because they have this budding romance thing. And she and Gabrielle's like, no, or Marissa's like, no, you still have Roe. Someone needs to be with her. And so, mm-hmm. so then they go off and then she's like, I have another idea for an adventure. And so the like the closing remarks. So from Mark is like, so what's next for Gambit? Well, we all know he and Roe eventually met up with the X-Men and Remy joined the team, but it doesn't seem like Gambit and Roe are quite done with their road trip, does it? Perhaps there's more yet untold. Like, okay. mm. So <laughs> um, you can just keep this going forever. Exactly. So so yeah, it's it, it's a side explanation thing of some of the adventures that Roe and Gambit had that I didn't know was never explained. So yeah, there you go. So, Eternals. Yeah, Eternals. It's three issues. It's Eternals, Thanos Rises, Eternals, Celestia, and Eternals, The Heretic. And it's just more Kieran Gillen just doing in-depth <laughs> thought analyses on the Eternals leading up to Judgment Day. Interesting. Um, okay. So, Eternals, Thanos Rises... So uh, it's, it has a little forward from the machine that is Earth. And mm. it says, Thanos' lust for death has led to the murder of billions. The Mad Titan has been a foremost threat to the entire galaxy, especially those of Earth. Most recently, he's been murdered, murdering his extended family, the Eternals, and almost destroying the machine, i.e. me. Wait, quote, extended family? Eternals don't breed. So who's to blame for Thanos? Uh, sins of the sons. So <laughs> flashback to 200,000 years ago. And just this fight between Eternals. And you have like Dino Riders level <laughs> dinosaurs mechanized for war. And okay. Um, All right. This is, this is the last battle preceding the Titan schism before the Accord. And you have eternal the Eternals chronology. And just this is the shit that just makes me so happy to see. So yeah, the first host a million years ago, and then the Uranite Heresy, which is 600,000 years ago, the Ascension of Kronos, which was 500,000 years ago, Titan Schism 200,000 years ago, final host was one year ago, and then the Thanosian Terror, which is the now. Um, sure. And he says, uh, Eternals often exist in families. However, these are created families made in one breath. There was no act of sex that led to the creation of any eternal. Mother, father, son, sister are all but designations. Eternals are capable of breeding with other species, sometimes producing enhanced offspring with extended lives. However, these Nephilites are not part of the great machine and so are not true Eternals. Alar's later mentor headed a faction that argued that Eternals should try to expand the machine by discovering the means, by discovering a means of true eternal reproduction. Zurus headed a faction that argued in favor of the status quo. The arguments escalated into war. 
Okay. And so it details that kind of skirmish. And Sprite and Icarus were on the side of Alars and Fastos and Thena. And there's like, it's really, if we just, if we just read the like <laughs> background details from the, from the machine that is Earth, like it would get a lot of this across. But anyway, there's like this brief introduction to key arguments in the Titanoschism. And it was basically a detail, detailed conversation of the Zerassian point of view, which is keep everything the way it is, and the Alar, the Alarsite point of view, which is we can do more as Eternals. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because now you have the Eternals that now want to change. So it's like, eh, well, you lost. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It ended with Mentor or Alars being ejected and the people who worked for him, like Icarus and Sprite, are rebirthed and their memories erased. And so they don't know that they were on Alars's side. Anyway, Alars uh, leaves and he gets to Titan where he finds uh, Suisan. And she was initially against Mentor. And then, and it, like the Titan that they get to is already in ruins because. The Titan <laughs> in Eternals history, <laughs> the Uranites had already been there for a couple, for a few millennia, and it just didn't work out. Anyway, point is, <laughs> okay. yeah, Kronos, yeah. like so much, they do so much. Anyway, so Kronos shows up to Mentor, and when Mentor is looking into some uh, eternal reproduction, and Kronos is like, "This is a mistake. Don't do it." And he's like, "No, too bad." And then. So this is a mistake. Not nearly. You nearly destroyed a world in your desire to know more. My reach shorter. I would have. I would but have a child. How can you abandon us? And so Kronos says, "Very well, but I would not have a grandson out of wedlock. I'll even provide the the rings, which he gives them the quantum bands as as their rings. So Suisan and Mentor mm-hmm. get married, so they can go and explore having a child. And then they have a child, and it's Thanos, and that didn't work out too well. And uh, Thanos." Killed Suisan uh, in his exp- in his exploration of knowledge, and when Suisan and also when Mentor later was killed by Thanos, when they died, they all got revived back up in the machine that is Earth, and immediately sent to the exclusion and eternal stuff. So, God, and then Celestia. Uh, so, I think when we were reading AXE, we saw this giant like structure that yeah uh, that Ajax and Macquarie was uh, hanging out at that giant yeah. structure is a throne for a celestial when it comes and does its host. Oh, okay. Yeah. And this is in Celestia city of the star gods. One of the six eternal cities of earth. It is designed to house the celestial. If they visit, it is also the primary site of eternal spirituality and what they count as their religion that the celestials have abandoned. The eternals means the priests of Celestia are undergoing a period of intense philosophical self-examination. So you have Ajak, keeper of the left arrow, which is keeper of the old ways. You have Makari Mm -hmm. or Makari, depending on how you pronounce two Ks. Yeah. Keeper of the right arrow, keeper of the new ways. You also have Harpocrates, keeper of the ampersand, which is keeper of the mysteries. Ichel, keeper of the up arrow, uh, keeper of the skies. (laughs) Master Elo, keeper of the greater than, less than, which is keeper (laughs) of the paths. And the Delphin Mother, keeper of the dot, 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 which is keeper of the soil. 
Um, huh. Okay. They are the people that live in, in Celestia. And basically you have Macquarie and Ajax talking about like, what the hell do we do? And Ajax like, I, I can't hear the damn gods anymore. So Ajax connection was RHM. And then when the Dreaming Celestial was hanging out in San Francisco, it wouldn't talk to mm-hmm. Ajax, but it would talk to, to Macri. So Macri became the new priest for that. But then Dreaming yeah. Celestial left and she doesn't have anyone to talk to anymore either. And then you get a flashback to one million years ago when Ajax was sent to go and test the prehistoric Avengers. Okay. Because they needed to know if they're going to be a threat to the planet because they are a group of powered beings. So Ajax shows up and (laughs) I'm going to, I really want to, this is, oh man, I really, Kieran Gillen's. He's great. Yeah. He is great. So he has another little timeline. I'm not going to dive too much into it, but it talks about 4 billion years ago when the progenitor first, first showed up. So, oh, he also uses this to, once again, recontextualize Eternal's origin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, the progenitor was sick, right? And when it died, and like all that, all the bile and use your words disgustingness. I know. Yeah. Uh, came out of his body. <laughs> that's what. That's what mixed into stuff and created the potential for uh, life on Earth and yada yada yada. Sure. And so, one million years ago. Zagreb the Aspirant arrives to investigate the missing celestial, which is the progenitor. Zagreb becomes infected and lashes out in pain. Earth's mightiest heroes engage the celestial and given its injured state, manage to kill it. Also, the first host of celestials arrives to investigate Zagreb's disappearance. Earth's mightiest heroes engage the celestials and are and are pummeled, the Celestials realize this is a plague planet, and they so they do several things. They realize this planet may eventually create antibodies against the, the disease via its powered inhabitants. They create this Eternals to defend the process. The Eternals are unaware this is their true purpose, and then they leave. Yeah. And so now the now Earth has been has become this like petri dish of what made Celestials sick. And is Earth going to create the antibody for that sickness? Mm-hmm. And so in order for Earth to develop that antibody, they created the 100 Eternals to okay. make sure that the Earth lasts long enough to create that antibody. Interesting. Cool. Right? <laughs> then the final host arrived. The Eternals realized their true purpose was just to be the lid for their Petri dish. The Eternals commit mass suicide in horror. That was in the first volume of Jason Aaron's Avengers. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then one month ago, the machine reboots, as Icarus noted, we're feeling much better now. Um, <laughs> enter Kieran Gillen's run on Eternals. Yes. <clears throat> so interesting. Yeah. And so Ajax dealing with the prehistoric Avengers holds back, and in doing so, she she dies, but she also finds she sees that there may be more than one way to have to let Earth defend itself. And doesn't have to just be the Eternals. So yeah. she gives the Avengers a pass and reports back and says they actually might be kind of cool. <laughs> uh, let's look, let's right. see where this goes. Yeah. and But it ends with Ajax visiting the Eternals mountain and seeing that what they've done to a celestial body. She gets pissed. And then before she can attack 
so Robbie Reyes is there still. And he's like, yeah, uh, what's going on? And she's like, oh, I know who you are, stupid spirit of vengeance. Just you wait. And then before she can lash out, Makari whisks her away with her super speed. Then they have a giant super speed astral plane type fight meeting of the minds and she's and she's like the sensual's word are words are amazed they conceal meaning they require interpretation that they said something so simple to the demon because oh yeah because Robbie Reyes said that from the first volume of Avengers the celestial said yeah. that it was okay for them to live in the progenitor sure and so that's what set her off. And she's like, they said something so simple to the demon proves it cannot be what they actually mean. And in truth, I know something else. I now know something else. A year, a million years ago, I made a mistake. I let the Avengers live. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And then the heretic is an issue of focusing on Thanos. The Prime Eternal is a title bestowed upon the elected leader of the Eternal Society. As Prime Eternal, one has the authority to deploy the forces of the machine for whatever ends they desire. In essence, using being Prime Eternal is like being the absolute ruler of Earth. And who is the bearer of this all-powerful little t- title today? Thanos the Mad Titan. Oh, dear. And so at the end of the first volume of Kieran Gillen's run, Thanos is the Prime Eternal. And... By becoming the Prime Eternal, Thanos goes and gets brought around the exclusion by Druig, who, um, according to Eternal lineage, they are cousins. Okay. Because their grandfathers are brothers. Yeah. And he goes, so Thanos goes in and has a conversation with Uranos. And Uranos is like, hey, I've heard of you, Thanos. I heard you killed half the universe. That was yeah. sad. <laughs> That was pathetic. <laughs> why, why stop at only half? <laughs> right, um, yeah. And Urnos is like, uh, Druig was hesitant to bring you here. And do you want to know why? And he's like, oh, he's like, don't don't come here. And Thanos is like, Druig didn't want to bring me here, but I guess I'll learn about you from Druig then. And Urnos is like, ah, fine, stay, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Urnos details his history from 600,000 years ago when he and Oceanus and Kronos first fought. And okay. this is the last, last main thing I'm going to dive into. Sure. Basically, it's the age of the patriarchs. So while no true Eternals are born, the 100 Eternals are divided into three kinds of family structures. Three gen, parents and children who in turn have children, the dynasties. Two gen, parents and children, the atomic families. And then one gen, singular Eternals with no families, the singularities. These are the three dynasties. There are three dynasties. The Urnos dynasty, the Oceanus dynasty, and the Kronos dynasty. Dynasties are linked by the, by the founders having a second familial identity. Urnos, Oceanus, Oceanus, and Kronos were siblings. They are known as the three patriarchs. While all Eternals have the same core abilities, those who sit at the top of a dynasty are especially powerful across several axes. Their most relevant ability is that when entering the Unimind, they control the votes of their whole lines. The age of the patriarchs are was defined by the three patriarchs being able to dominate the Unimind and so act as a true as a ruling triad. For details on the matriarchs' in, influence in this period and the eternal concept of gender in dynasties, see <laughs> error section deleted. Um, okay. So section, so the Uranus dynasty is his two children are Valken and Virico. Valken's child is Druig, Virico's child is Icarus. Kronos's children are Zurus and Alars. Zurus's child yeah. is Thena. Alars' 
Alars's through children through non-machine methods are Eros and Thanos. So Uranus has this idea, this concept that in his take on protect the machine. So he has a very different uh, perspective on the three tenets or whatever. Um, sure, in order to protect the machine and to erase excess deviation, we should just erase all deviants Life. now. Yeah. Why let them <laughs> excessively deviate when they're already right. deviations from how life should be? And so yeah. he wants to wipe out everything. And so he's the reason why Lemuria is destroyed. And in order to do this, he approaches his brothers and he's like, guys, this is what we got to do. On top of yeah. that, <laughs> on top of that, protect the machine. We because the machine is so broadly interpreted, we should be proactive and not reactive. We should look into making Earth mobile and taking out any and all celest like celestial body mm-hmm. and all celestial, not celestial as in the beings, but celestial as in like space worthy sure. bodies that could be a deterrent from Earth's survival. So huh. so he's talking about basically turning it into ego and yeah. <laughs> going around just conquering the universe. Oceanus and Kronos are and Kronos are like, no, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's not do that. <laughs> anyway, basically, so it, it there's a whole like page of just like his mm-hmm. stance, and it's basically in conclusion, eternal life is the only life. All other life is heresy. And so we need to get rid of everything. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, that ends in a huge battle. Oceanus and Kronos uh, end up stopping Uranus and put him in the exclusion. Anyway, well, sorry, not in the exclusion. They send him away, and all and his twenty four other Eternals uh, get sent away. Also, mm-hmm. this is at a time when the Eternals aren't at the power level that we know them now. Um, okay. The Eternals originally were just just enhanced beings, and then Uranus, Kronos, and Oceanus are like beyond enhanced being. They sent Uranus away, and then yeah. Kronos has this pa- he has this passion for study for life, and this gets this is where the what if issues from 1977, what if issues oh, 24 shit. through 28, yeah, wow. details all okay. of this. So when Uranus and his and those 24 Eternals got shunted off of Earth 600,000 years ago, Kronos is exploring everything that is, and he explores the energy that the Celestials use to give Kronos, Oceanus, and Uranus the levels of power that they had. And for whatever reason, it gets put into this little (laughs) cosmic rod-like tube, and the energy overpowers it and explodes, and it coats the eternal city with powers elevated to where Kronos and Oceanus and Uranus used to be. <laughs> um, okay. And so, or like enhanced Jeez. abilities. And so their yeah. effects, their ability, all that crazy stuff gets given to all the Eternals. But Kronos in his proximity to the blast sends his consciousness out into the universe. And he becomes this like, the, the, like every time we see him these days, he's like just like a galaxy. He looks like eternity. Yeah. Where it's just like space in his body. Mm-hmm. And so that that got detailed in what if 24. And all of these what if issues that Kieran Gillen decided to put in, he has a review of how he interpreted 
that story and how he used oh, it that's cool. for his run on Eternals. That's nice. It's so I, cool. I like that because because you're really taking there's not much source material to go from with Eternals, right? <laughs> and and what does exist is very disparate. Just kind of like yeah, it's it's been mm-hmm. spread out so much. Uh, that's that's cool. That's cool that he's yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then I guess this last issue ends with two things. Uranus gave Thanos the keys to his armory. And Thanos walks away, says, thank you, granduncle. Actually, no, I think not. Thank you, grandfather. And Mm. Uranus cracks a smile and it ends there. So anyway, um, because the end of the issue, uh, the, the 24 intro from Kieran Gillen ends with, Plus, the moment when I realized Uranus was actually closely related to Thanos was a real penny drop moment. Generational (laughs) awfulness. Let's do this. (laughs) Uh So then it shows the the story from issue 24. Issue 25 dives into more stuff. Uh, The first Unimind. And so Kieran Gillen takes what he can from the first Unimind idea. uh, Because originally it was just shown as something that the, um, the patriarchs did. Okay. Yeah. And all those stuff is like, so how can I twist this? And uh, and then so 26, 27, I think is that, that's it. Yeah. So uh, 27, he talks, or 28, geez. 28 has the expulsion of Uranus and 24 Eternals. And Kieran Gillen is like, this is actually perfect because of the way it just ended up being perfect because the way I wrote the three dynasties, 24 is about a third of the hundred Eternals. And so it lends itself to oh. show the third of the Eternals that sided with Uranus that got shunted off, off planet. And just, and so like <laughs> he has that introduction on all five of those issues where it just shows the level of research he put in, but then also yeah. how he used that to inform the story he wants to tell here. And like, yeah. It's it it's going on the shelf right next to his run on Eternals. I'm so ex- this this was such a good book. <sighs> awesome. It was only three fucking issues. <laughs> um, but yeah, they it it's so it was so good. And yeah, sweet. I, 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 I highly recommend Kieran Gillen's run on Eternals to anyone awesome. for anything. Ugh. Oh, that also <laughs> reminds me real quick. Next time you're gonna read something like Gambit or X Men Legacy or something. If you head Let up, me know. You want to uh, read it, and I'll read it too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because there's there's some so, like so that partially why just I any anything that's like in. yeah like super X Men y. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to dive too far into it because I figured there might be a yeah. chance that you'd want to read it at some point or are going to read it at some point. Yes. So, Thank you for the um, clarification. Want to? No. We'll be compelled to. Yes. <laughs> Especially on these like background ones. Yeah. That are set more in your time than mine. Yeah. Definitely. I'll definitely give you more heads up. Cool, cool, cool. So Wolverine, I think was the first one. Yeah. Wolverine. Uh, So yeah, Rob Liefeld is plotting this. And he also draws the first like couple issues. And then I assume he just did the Rob Liefeld thing and couldn't make his deadlines. So somebody else starts taking over the art. Yeah. So Deadpool shows up and he's like, Hey, I'm taking a job to kill you or capture you. No offense, you know, money. I need it. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, And he's there with his buddies, the scourge, 
which is just a an opportunity for Rob Liefeld to draw a bunch of new characters. Oh, okay. Their names are Pigskin, Vance Rebus, Deadeye Dick, Reckless Eric, Mega Max, and Mini Max. Why are there so many? What like why? Why do you have to why? <laughs> you don't have to draw that. You don't have to add that many people to title. Wait, let me show them to you. Oh my gosh. Dude, Lifeheld is oh boy. Yeah, they they look extremely Lifeheld. Just the dumbest so, the 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 most pained, the most pained facial expressions, the dumbest hats. Just like what well, the I fuck is going did, on here? We did Wildcats, right? Uh, no, that was Jim Lee, actually. Really? I see yeah. them, and I I think of Wildcats. <laughs> I mean, it's the same. You know, they both started Image together. Yeah, they were both. You know, Liefeld was X Force, and Jim Lee was X Men. They 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 similar career path, except Jim Lee had talent and could hit deadlines, and you know his career took him a lot further. So yeah, basically the whole thing is Deadpool took a deal to, they've got Siren in a stasis tube. Cause remember she got her throat cut and her vocal cords severed. And so they're capturing, he's capturing Wolverine on behalf of some evil organization to have her healed up. And they're like, they, they say, you know, just like, in text bubbles because it's never shown oh they're dissecting mutants to usher in a golden age for humanity or something i don't know they're called the watchtower they're run by this guy called the administrator this guy named geronimo crow with an e at the end shows just bust in out of fucking nowhere and he's like i'm the um, uh, administrator's son and (laughs) me and my friends cargo hardwire and shooter are you know gonna we have to stop the terrible things that they're doing so you know as the plot goes siren emerges healed they used wolverine's blood or something for healing blah 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 uh siren and wade fly away they're like okay okay our our part in this is done and then Wolverine and and crow's group are like all right now it's time to take a fight the fight to the watchtower you know, like end of issue cliffhanger type thing. <laughs> none of these char- none of these characters would ever appear again. None of these seventy three new characters yeah. <laughs> we just introduced. <laughs> that was two issues, by the way. Oh my um, gosh! Yeah, and then the next issue, uh, Wolverine's tracking a serial killer in uh, some abandoned subway tunnels. Meets up with this uh, police captain or whatever named tara and they're like tracking you know nypd group also tracking the serial killer through the tunnels these shadowy rock creatures show up and just kill all of the cops except for tara and so they go hunting we later learned that the shadowy rock creatures uh belong to the mole man and while they're all kind of tromping around down there they just kind of randomly run into spider-man and they track them back to the, you know, the mole creatures back to Mole Man. Turns out the mole folks didn't do the murders. And Mole Man takes them to just this rogue band of Morlocks who've set up shop somewhere. 
somehow they keep finding more Morlocks after like killing off every Morlock like <laughs> 17 times. We've got a bunch of brand new Morlock characters here. Two that they only two they bother to name. We've got Carve. No, sorry. Yeah, Carve. His name is Carve. And he has unbreakable skin and one retractable cr- claw on the bottom of each wrist. <laughs> okay. How long and is it like Dakin Wolverine length? No, no, no. It's it's like barely longer than his fist. Like rar. Okay. Yeah, like <laughs> hence carve and not cut. <laughs> right. <Okay>. Exactly. <laughs> Scrape. <laughs> Scratch. Yeah. So, so yeah. who's the who's the, who's the, the other guy's on that person? Fugue. Yeah, okay. the other guy's named Fugue. He looks like a Wendigo and he has brain the size of a walnut, apparently. But he's not a Wendigo because But he's, he's not, not a Wendigo. Because he's not in Canada. He didn't eat anybody. <laughs> just a regular ass Morlock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna. <laughs> Our know. level of Marvel knowledge is not healthy. <laughs> it's it's so ridiculous. And again, just that there is this. Okay, you've gone past the 49th parallel. <laughs> you better not eat anybody. Well, <laughs> in the states, you're magic, fine. Mad, magic Donner party. Follows. Donner. Donner. Yeah territorial borders you didn't know this it it follows political borders that absolutely yeah again god can you oh no can you imagine if like i know we've already done this from now we lose we lose montana to to canada and then all of a sudden wendicos show up in montana we've literally (laughs) already done this bit but yes there there have been treaties to like normalize you know badly surveyed parts of 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 the border and, uh-huh. and straighten them out, and it's like, did did it change when they did that? It's, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, does it does it did it follow when Canada got independence from Britain, or was this did this last before Canada was its own entity? No, so it's 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 about your personal identification. If you identify as Canadian, <laughs> then. You are susceptible to the Wendigo curse. If if you if you if you drink Molson beer, if you uh, say a yeah, if you if you say a if if you say the phrase uh, "fuck the dog" to mean procrastinating, these are all signs that cannibalism is not for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry, uh, continue. <laughs> so Wolverine's like, hey, Carve, I'm going to, since you're a Morlock, I'm going to challenge you in a one-on-one fight for leadership. And so they fight and and he gets somehow this giant like chasm appears in a pillar where you just like, if you fall off, it's like a bottomless pit into, I don't know, lava or something. They're still in the tunnels under New York City, but that's fine. Whatever. Well, it's, it's the same. It's the same hole from... Daredevil. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, but it. they're they're in a giant pillar uh with the hole surrounding them. Yes. Yeah. And so they're fighting and like, you know, oh, I got knocked off. Oh, I'm gonna be saved. Oh, Fugue fell in. Oh, somebody saved Fugue, right? Um anyway, uh oh, it the tremor 
is what like knocks them off. The the fight the the fight actually lasts three panels, and then a tremor happens, knocks them off, and they're like, "Oh, we need to save." And then they get out, and they're like, "I guess that solved the problem." Like maybe Carve and Fugue fell in the pit, but maybe not. I was gonna say these characters would never be seen again. However, however, <laughs> we recently read car oh it's carver not carve i'm sorry we recently read an issue of comics with carver in it is he the one that survived in krakoa he was part of brimstone loves cult in in the marauders annual which is making me think that steve orlando is the only person in the world who's read more x-men comics than me and has been damaged by them more than me. <laughs> All right. I've also got an annual Wolverine. Uh, Wolverine Annual 2000. This guy named uh, Tyrus Krill, who is a, a bounty hunter who hunts brood, just kind of like shows up on Earth and starts showing people pictures of Wolverines. Like, where do I find this guy? Finds him in like two pages. Star Wars syndrome. It's yeah, fine. exactly. Um, At least he asked. <laughs> right? He's like, I'm not just after any brood. There's these brood criminals, even amongst the brood, hiding out on Earth. They don't just kill for reproduction. They kill for fun. They killed my family. And we find out over the course of it that he was also implanted by the brood. And he's been fighting his own transformation. And he sought, sought out Wolverine because he's you know a legend at killing brood. So they team up, they kill a lot of Sleezoids, and then, you know, predictably, Wolvie has to finish off Krill at the end of it, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Okay. That, that's, that's, that's the annual. Iron Fist and Wolverine. <laughs> so I'm working on this theory about Iron Fist. Having read none of the relevant comics, by the way, just going by, you know, okay. You know how there's this, like, Marvel doesn't give a fuck about Iron Fist except for when they have to. Just in a very extreme. I can't way. argue that. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't really ever even have to. Like, remember during AXE Judgment Day, we read it, there's this whole thing going on right now with with the the sword swordmaster sword Lin Lee becoming yeah. Iron Fist, and and the that character doesn't even have their own title. They just have to like, oh, we've got a crossover. Oh, good, good, good. Let me, let me, let me get, let me get a Lindley in there. Let me get, let me get some Iron Fist. You know, just like, please, 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 anywhere to just like. So, Iron Fist is has had in a character dating back to the seventies, right? Like the whole kung fu movie, black exploitation, you know, femme exploitation action era. movies of mm-hmm. era, you know all kind of converging and and made all of these characters happen at once. And, and then after that was, that was over, they just like, didn't really publish him anymore. You know, they had the, the team. Brewbreaker's up- run was really good, but Brewbreaker and uh, Fra- Brewbreaker and fractions run was incredible. And then they've had like a couple. And, and so, yeah, like it's just like you pull them out of the closet. It's kind of like Eternals. You pull them out of the closet, you do something <laughs> incredible with them. And they're like, well, yeah, we can't really follow that. Back in the closet. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he um, doesn't have very many individual titles. 
for sure. I mean, Moon Knight was that way for a long time, but has mm-hmm. been published a lot more recently. Characters kind of grown in popularity. Same with Ghost Rider. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is during a, a, a long period of non-publication for Iron Fist. They had him do like Heroes for Hire title in the 90s that didn't go anywhere and blah, blah, blah. So apparently the backstory, the leader of the hand du jour, some kid named Junzo Muto, stole the Iron Fist powers from Danny. Danny also had some plan in effect where he was going to bring Kunlun to Earth and it was going to happen whenever he went to Tokyo that Kunlun was just going to come to Tokyo. And I don't know why, uh, but Junzo is like, well, that would be great. Like, because when Kunlun comes to Tokyo, all of Tokyo is going to transform into Kunlun. It's going to be walled off, inaccessible. For some reason, all technology is going to be turned off. They don't say all electronics. They say all technology. So, like, is the wheel going to work? You know, will we have fire? Will we able be able to, yeah, like practice agriculture? Who knows? But he's like, first I will take over Kunlun, and then it's impenetrable, and then from there, I can take over the world. The world. <laughs> so he ambushes Luke, Misty, and uh, and Danny are out for a walk. Ambushes them. Poison gases Luke. Kidnaps Misty, and so Dan, and then. He's like, haha, taking her to Tokyo. Danny's like, well, shit. So Danny goes to Tokyo, even though he's like, I can't go to Tokyo because that'll cause the the thing, you know, Kunlun to show up and it'll, but I have to go after Misty. So here we go. So he just kind of like shows up in Tokyo and just starts fighting ninjas. He just, he just, you know, he's just finds ninjas and starts fighting them. And you don't really have when, to do that. It's Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't really have to do that for very long before Wolverine shows up for a team-up. So he's there. Yeah, yeah. All right. And then Fisk's people show up, Kingpin. And and Danny and Wolverine are like, oh, sure, we'll take a meeting. He offers to help them take down Muto. They tell him to get lost because he he wants, he's very invested in in building business empire in Tokyo. He's been basically locked out of doing business in the States at this point in time, presumed dead or something for quite a while. Anyway, the, yeah, the cities start to merge and these giant impenetrable walls go up. Captain America shows up on behalf of shields. Tony also starts flying over because his girlfriend is tra- is Japanese and she's trapped inside the city. Sunfire, Psylocke, <laughs> Luke Cage also join the team up. Yeah, it's, yes, it's Japanese. It's not, no, she, she's from Tokyo. She's Japanese. <laughs> is this this is Sorry. this is all of the explanation? I'm not leaving things out here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, and um, Betsy's there because it's like, well, she has you know business with the hand because you know the <laughs> blah 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 body swap thing. So Sunfire learns that the reason this is all happening is because of Danny Rand. And so he turns on all the rest of the American superheroes because goddamn Gaijin, you know, stay the hell out of, uh, you know, out of uh, Japan, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, eventually he come, comes around to it, but 
you know, there's a big like split and Danny is, is inside and everyone else is outside trying to get inside. Uh, Danny gets captured almost immediately and comes across his uncle UT who, Mm. yeah, just a a dude in a, a weird mask. And so they free Danny and he's like, oh, we have to bring UT. Danny's been having visions of his mother saying like, remember, you still have family. You're not all your family's dead. He's like, oh yeah, I have to make nice with UT, I guess. They're like, well, the the transformation of Tokyo into Kunlun is happening, is tied to Danny's heartbeat. So UT just <laughs> stabs him through the chest and yeah, and he dies, uh, but he's brought back by the fading magic of Kunlun, visions of his mom, et cetera, et cetera. And the end result is the dragons of Kunlun are stuck in Tokyo and everything else goes back to normal. Except Danny still doesn't have iron fist powers. Sure. Yep. Cable 85 through 88. Uh, Actually, I'm just doing it 85 and 86 because it's getting fucked over by crossovers that I, (laughs) you know. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. So... Uh, Irene Merriweather, the journalist that has been has been covering cable, she's dead ass asleep. And then this weirdo floating in the air in the lotus meditation pose shows up, stops time. She's called Electo the Second. I think second as in amount of time, not um, oh. like there, not that there was a first Electo. And she's Ew. like, Electo's like, buckle up, motherfucker. Apocalypse was just the start of Cable's destiny. He thinks he's done with this shit. You know, no, 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 no. And and he's also, uh, and she's also like, so what the hell is Blake Smith's deal anyway? You know, this weird looking dude, like, supposed to be part of the Ascani. Like, why doesn't he, like, really help Cable? And why is he such a bastard about, like, explaining things? And Irene's like, yeah, you're right. And then she says it to Cable. And he's like, no. Cable's walking around in near his safe house in New York, and he sees this uh, sign for like a sign that's uh, like a, a sign on the front of a business, and it says, "Are you as dangerous as you think?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm fucking dangerous as I think." And so he walks in, <laughs> and he's never seen it before. And it's this dojo run by a woman named Shin, and they spar for a while, and she she just like wrecks him. Like has him, you know, in the spar. Like does the like this would have been the killing blow well, or whatever. Not a hand to hand fighter. I mean, he kind he of can. is. He yeah, he kind of he he is in the nineties, or he's he doesn't do it much. But everyone always is like, I can't believe someone so big is so fast. Sure. But anyway, yeah. Uh, he's got a scimitar. He's got to fight. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so. She's like, okay, I'll train you. And he's like, I didn't ask to be trained. He's like, shut up, we're having tea. And then he, you know, so the scene ends and he leaves. And then the the whole dojo disappears. And he's like, well, that was fucking weird. And he's like, well, I have been having these visions of my sister, Rachel, you know, who's been stuck in the time stream for like 10 publication years. Like she has been out. She's been out of commission. They have just like no Rachel Summers for quite a while and it's like is they've been you know kind of teasing this as something that he might do and they're like oh, okay yeah 12 is done I don't know anything better to do let's go get rachel and so she's two billion years in the future billion and this part was actually kind of cool 
it is far enough in the future that potential timelines are converging because Earth just like can't last that long. There are no divergent possibilities left that would change what Earth is at this point. So they're all converging back to like a similar, a a single time stream, basically. Interesting. Yeah. These are all the ones that where there is still an Earth that hasn't been like molecularly obliterated. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That does not track at all with how they normally do parallel universes, but it's a cool idea. I'm I'm into that. So yeah, yeah. And it, it turns out that this this two billion years from uh, you know from now Earth is prison for a dude named Gaunt, who was a universal conqueror. He, you know, the most evil human that has ever lived, and he's ten thousand years old, and he's conquered you know, galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies and wanted the whole thing and was finally defeated. And they're like, oh, execution is too kind for all of the terrible things that he did. So we're just going to leave him stuck in the future with no possibility for escape for all time. And he's bored as fuck. And so... Rachel just kind of got spat up by the time stream because she was also at a different end of time held by somebody else and then kind of came here just timey-wimey shit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because she got split into two. So, or or this is the more compelling theory. Because, you know, she's Mother Ascani later when she's elderly. So either she got split into two. She does have some vague memories of Ascani stuff. But there's also the possibility that her mother Iskani, you know, time is going to happen after all of the more recent 616 publication stuff that we've read. Oh, oh, anyway, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a more than like it like it it doesn't mean anything. But anyway, so, yeah, she's kind of showed up and and gaunt, you know, like read her mind is like, oh you've got this brother named cable yeah i'll uh i'll I'll use you as lure to get him here because i am so fucking bored and he seems like a good person to fight and like kind of an interesting dude to like have conversation so they they have like a dinner party they're like hanging out he's like you know accept my hospitality be my guest blah 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 but we are gonna fight we're gonna fight like you know no rules no holds barred just fucking go at it and if you win, Rachel gets to leave. If I win, you have to stay here with me. And Cable wins. And the fight's all right. And so brings back Rachel and is like, so Rachel, well, what do you want to do now? And she's like, you know, I'm kind of, I've kind of, she's like, oh, there's no Excalibur anymore. Oh, uh, you know, maybe don't tell anybody I'm here. Like, don't even tell Gene. Don't tell anybody. I'm just going to go to college. I'm going to try and live a normal life. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to live a normal life for a little bit. So I think this was just to make it easy to bring her back at if anyone else wanted to do it later without, Mm -hmm. you know, having to be like, oh, now we need to go get Rachel. And how'd you get get back from time? Right. 
It's like, how'd you get back from college? I guess that's a little easier to answer. <laughs> cool. I mean, she grew up in dystopian, like, Days of Future Past era, right? So, like, does she have a high school diploma? Were there high schools in Days of Future Past? Like, what is her level of formal no. education to get into college? She's going to have to go GED, you know, yeah. City College. Like, she's going to really have to work her ass off. Mm-hmm. All good for her. Yeah, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, Lorna has two PhDs. Fucking Lorna, man. <laughs> <laughs> Is it two? I think it might be only one. Still. Um, meanwhile, Lorna has a PhD. Yeah. Deadpool. So we have a new creative team on Deadpool, and they just, they don't have the tone at all. It's just kind of like writer named Jimmy Palmiotti, and he's writing this as kind of just a crime fic with a kind of regular dark humor kind of thing going on. Okay, there are a couple funny bits. A guy named The Sack <laughs> robs a bank and he has like a um a sack, a bag that he can just like pull things out of, you know, he's got like cartoon logic. Bag. Yeah, he's got a bag of holding basically. And he's like pulling out flesh-eating like creatures and he throws them at Deadpool and they run away in horror because his cancer <laughs> face is so disgusting. And then Deadpool can't stop laughing at a guy named The Sack and beats him easily. And there's a cop there on the beat, and he's like, hey, so there isn't a cash reward for this, but I've got a job that can pay you a million dollars. All you have to do is kill these, like, seven mob bosses for me. And Wade has this, like, token, like reticence at being a contract killer, which I don't understand because that's who he's always been. Mm-hmm. And and like some turmoil, and he's like, "Okay, yeah, I'll do it eventually." And and Frank's like, "Cool, go to this tattoo parlor in South Brooklyn." And this, the one thing I did like about this, lots of very real like New York, uh, Brooklyn locales, like all throughout the borough, you know, real streets and and neighborhood names that uh, as a resident I enjoyed. He's like. <laughs> Go to this tattoo parlor in Sheepshead Bay and meet with this woman named Ananastasia. Not Anastasia. Ananastasia. Is that like writing Mississippi and putting too many SSISs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mississippi. <laughs> Deadpool and Ananastasia. She says, call, she says, call me Anna, and he mostly does, but I, I'm not. I'm going to call her Ananastasia. <laughs> it's too hilarious. Uh, they have like, instant chemistry and he's like really falling for her and she's very interested in him. They're going on dates. They're going to Coney Island together, blah, blah, blah. Frank, Frank, the policeman's wife is killed. And it turns out that she did it uh, an Anastasia. And she also, it turns out that the whole thing was like, she has a, the, the wife, had an, a life insurance policy of a million dollars and that's how they were going to pay Deadpool to kill these mob bosses to the mob bosses are are like they have an Anastasia under their thumb and she can't be free until they're all dead or something and so this is like the seven horcruxes of yes. whatever his name is yes exactly and so the plan was kill the wife, get the million dollars, kill all the mob bosses, pay off Deadpool, and then they'll be free 
to leave together. But Deadpool doesn't manage to finish the job on one of them. He stays alive, you know, big climactic thing. And Anastasia kills him, kills, just shoots basically every single supporting character that's been introduced throughout the, <laughs> you know, like hits Deadpool in the back of the head with a shovel, like hog ties Frank. Like she's just going fucking wild all over the place. And, and at the end, you know, it's her and Wade and she's like, you're the one I love for real. It's going to be okay. Let's, let's leave together. You know, it'll, it'll, everything will be okay. Okay. As long as we're together. And he's like, you're crazy. I don't trust you at all. And he's very sad, but he shoots her and kills her for free. Yeah. After that, he's very horny and sad. And through a, uh, so there's the the next issue through just like a bunch of like happenstances. He starts running into beautiful women everywhere who are just absolutely throwing them and themselves at him. There's a nurse, there's a, a, a woman in a bar. There is a, a grocery store clerk. There's a delivery or a, a random woman at the grocery store. And then a woman who's delivering his groceries and they all he hooks up with all of them. They're all just absolutely throwing themselves at him and, you know, knock out beautiful every single one of them. And at the end of the issue, we learned that they are all Vanessa, AKA copycat his um, oh. estranged ex who he was deeply in love with, uh, who is a shape-shifting mercenary. So that's a plot hook. Yeah. For what might be next. Man, what, what a, what a, what a way to, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Just thinking like practically a version of this conversation happens with like Emma and Cyclops when Emma's like, I can look, I can make you think I look like anything you want. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. Interesting. Okay. Jean, Madeline, Dark Phoenix, etc. Yeah. So, oh, th- Crucially, Wade doesn't know that right. that this was copycat. Yeah. So, you know, he's like calling all these girls back and it turns out that, yeah, it's all copycat. Man. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes as a plot hook. Uh, mm-hmm. That's it for me this week. That's that's all my reading. I mean, that wasn't that wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. It was kind of fun. Yeah. What do you have? What do you have coming up for next week? Next week, I have, I think I'm going to throw in some Gambit. Gambit's also being kind of screwed over by involvement in crossovers. And, but it's like nearing the end of a big, you know, of it, of the title, like the big climax of the whole thing. Mm. So obnoxious. I know. So I might throw that in. And then I've got the end of Mutant X, if you remember that. Cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's the alt universe where, with Bloodstorm, with Havoc, and the, Havoc the six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's 616 Havoc, who's been blah, 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 blah. Anyway, uh, and then I have X-Men Black Sun, which is an Amanda Sefton book. Oh. And X-Men Magic. She has also been taken the, the, the superhero name Magic. So magic with a K. So it's it's kind of a follow-up spin-off from X-Men Black Sun. Oh. 
a solo book for her. Cool. Yeah. Because I still know so much about Amanda Sept. I'll give you the full backstory <laughs> before cool. before we start. I'll, I'll make sure to remember to do that. Because it's cool. goofy in the way that 70s comics were. What do you got next week? So I have Defenders Beyond, which, yeah. according to the cover, is a team-up. So the Defenders... Defenders are always random people yes. that end up doing cosmic yes. omniversal type yes. stuff. Yeah. So you have Blue Marvel and America Chavez who's done yeah. this before. Right. Loki. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they've teamed up Tigra, before. who's wearing more than a bikini. It's bizarre. And, uh, unrecognizable. <laughs> and Taya, who is Galen, who turns into Galactus, says mother from <sighs> the sixth multiverse. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. <sighs> so do you remember last time I was doing a Defenders book and I was freaking out about how Doctor Strange's home is the eighth universe and how I was like, that means he's the, he's the like, Galactus. he's the survivor for the, for the yeah, destruction yeah. of this universe to show up in the eighth. Yeah. We're in the eighth omniverse. Post Secret Wars, post Hickman's Secret Wars. Oh, that's right. That was considered the universal reset. Oh, but what? So, so f- in terms of omniverse or whatever yeah. multiverse, this is the eighth. We're in the eighth iteration, right? Which is the only difference between this iteration and the seventh iteration is that Miles Morales and his family are in this universe instead of ultimate interesting <laughs> and the makers here but like right yeah so uh, the excitement <laughs> of dr strange being his home being in the eighth universe is right just because he survived from seventh to eighth anyway so we'll see <laughs> it's if since Taya's involved there's going to be some multiversal shenanigans and i am excited <laughs> yeah the next book in my pile, which I'm not sure if I'm going to read or not. And even if I do, I don't know if I'll do it for the pod. It's called Marvel Snapshots. Um, Are they just trying to go off the popularity of Marvel Snap? I don't know. Cause it's a thick boy and yeah. it's a bunch of single issues of, and it's all like Submariner Marvel Snapshots, Fantastic Four Marvel Snapshots. And yeah. there's a bunch of them. Uh, and it just says, the, the description is, a quarter of a century ago, writer Kurt Busiek and painter Alex Ross gave you a new perspective on your favorite heroes with the groundbreaking marvels. Now Busiek invites some of the industry's most distinctive voices to do it all over again, featuring stories set throughout the history of the House of Ideas, starring the everyday people living in the age of the extraordinary. These are the Marvel snapshots. So I guess it could be fun. So... It's, you got Submariner, Fantastic Four, Captain America, X-Men, Avengers, Spider-Man, Civil War, and Captain Marvel. And I guess it's going to be from different perspectives of different times of those stories, I guess. Hmm. We'll see. Uh, okay. And then... Oh, I've got the third volume of McKay's Moon Knight. Oh, interesting. Cool. And then I have a Jessica Jones mystery, The Variants. Huh. Um, I know nothing about it, but it's written by Gail Simone and Phil. Noto. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. 
That's a that's a hell of a that's a hell of a creative team. Uh, right. If, if and if they're doing if they're doing just like Jessica Jessica Jones just solving random mysteries, that's really dope. I, I love <laughs> so, I love I love the idea of doing just like a mystery novel Marvel tour and letting letting uh, Jessica Jones just be your like you know random. Yeah, detective story. Yeah, so this is the tag is what would it be like to meet your own alias? And then it's in the same like oh I see text. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see we'll see what we'll see what it does. But for now, I'm reading those four and we'll see. The next book is a is Moon Knight Black, White and Blood. I may throw that in just for passing it. Um, Yeah. So I either have the stack of interesting books or I have <laughs> the stack of X books. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. Oh, man. Okay. So I guess then with that. Yeah. Do you have a place um, for? Oh, well, <laughs> who knows when this is going to air. But happy Father's Day, by the way, to all yeah, the happy... fathers out there. That's right. Who um, listen? Because we are recording this on Father's Day 2023. Yeah. Anyway, with that. Yes. Let's put the outro music like here. Oh, um, okay, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that'll serve. That's good. And